You are listening to Primal Radio, the podcast dedicated to combat sports, martial arts, self-defense, and the warrior mindset. And here are your hosts from Hamilton, New Jersey, Jim McCann, and London, England, Tom McGrath. All right, we're back. Primal Radio. Tom, how you doing, buddy? I'm great. I'm great. It's my birthday today, Happy but this birthday, is going to go out Tom. in weeks. So it won't be my birthday then. It, uh, <laughs> you, are you celebrating your birthday tonight? You're going out to Johnny Max or anything? No, not really. I've got like a barbecue planned for Saturday. My, for Saturday. my friend Andrew, we always do something together. And then obviously I'm off to the Philippines on Monday. So wow. rock How, and roll. But right. today is just mum and dad's for some fun cooking. You. How long is that flight to the Philippines? Uh, too long. I, I don't really know. It's, it, we've got pre- we fly to Dubai, you know, an hour or two stopover, and then yeah. straight to Cebu. So, so it's, it's as good as it could be. And who's picking you up direct. in the Philippines? Has a Pat made arrangements to pick you up, or how's that working? There's 15 of us going. Holy Andy Jansen's organised it all. Um, and then after after those guys go home, I think I've got a day or two with Andy, and then right after that, my friend Tom comes over from Taiwan. And my friend, uh, Dr. Watson, comes over from Japan with his wife and a new baby. Wow. Man, you got the life. You're all over. I, I want to move oh. to Europe. You guys have off more than you work. We, <laughs> it's amazing. I'm working 103 hours a week, you know, nonstop. I, I we know. had a great night. We're going to get to our guests in a second. Last night we were jamming. I invited four gyms up. Uh, and, I don't know, 60-plus people were in the gym sparring. It was total disaster as far as... The place being left a mess. So I got to the gym, you know, three thirty, four o'clock this morning and cleaned for two hours before training. It was it just, blood everywhere. Oh, it was, it was great. We had a lot of good fight. <laughs> and then Scrap, Jesus, Scrap is going to be unreal. You know, he's got over 300 fights. And um, he went against this pro, uh, this professional uh, heavyweight. Like 220, 230, big dot. Scrap ate him up. Unreal, because yeah. he's so much faster. The other guy had a lot more. If the guy would have hit him clean, might have knocked him out. But anyway, it was good. But anyway, let me get to some of the stuff I got to promote before we forget, and then we'll get our guest on. Uh, is that all right with you, Tom? That's great. All Go right, great. It. Okay, Primal Radio. Guys, you can hear us on Hamilton Radio. You can hear us on Spreaker. You can hear us on iHeartRadio. Sonos, uh, SoundCloud, Amazon Alexa. Coming up, uh, we have a couple other things like Stitcher. I guess Tom's been working on that forever. I don't know what's going on with that, Tom. You can fill us in if, if we care enough. Um, also, Saturday nights it will play on Hamilton Radio, 9 p.m. U.K. time, 9 p.m. Uh, New York time. Uh, so you can download and listen to it whenever. Um, so also, I have a ton of events coming up. I'm going to rattle through these relatively quickly. By the way, I did listen to this Fusco show, and boy, I went through that list quickly, didn't I? So last week. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Real impressive. It was, I don't yeah. know if it was impressive, but I wanted to get through it. So let me get through this real quick because I got a lot uh, going on. Uh, June 16th, I will be doing a CQC JKD seminar with Mick Thornton. Um, on um, July 7th, we have a blood drive um, at Primal Gym for four hours from noon to uh, four. So if you want to come by and give blood instead of a stake in it, uh, that would be a good day to come out. July 14th, the Billy Robinson Catch Wrestling Tournament at Primal Gym. July 14th as well, that night, we'll be having the Catch Wrestling World Champions. Chip, Josh Barnett will be there. A bunch of world-class crapplers will take place at the gym, and then on the 15th, we're having a catch wrestling seminar. August 11th, Primal MMA Fight Night at the Showboat Hotel in Atlantic City, and we will be in the Bourbon Room, which was formerly the House of Blues. Um, coming in October, we'll have a Pro-Am boxing event at the Showboat as well, at the Bourbon Room, and then November 3rd, uh, Primal MMA Fight Night number two at the Showboat and at the Bourbon Room. So that was our list. I didn't say it quite as fast. A lot of stuff. I'm busy as hell. Yes, I spent hours talking to tons of fighters. Ugh, it's a nightmare. But anyway, all right, Tom. Now, have you prepared an introduction for our very special guest, the lovely and talented? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> right, so I threw uh, you off with that, so didn't I? Didn't I? Well, he's very handsome. I met this gentleman probably at a few different seminars um, over the years. Uh, Tackett, 
Um, uh, probably Dennis Blue, um, certainly some at your place, Jim, right. um, some of your older gyms. Um, uh, this gentleman's had uh, over 20 years of service uh, in law enforcement, um, and he recently retired from the Atlantic City Police Department, um, achieving the rank of lieutenant. He supervised hundreds of law enforcement officers and was responsible for, for instructing um, at least 20 in, in uh, 22 different topic areas. Moreover, he was responsible for creating 11 different law enforcement instructor courses, which has formed a big part of the stuff he does. Um, he has a wife, Maria, and five kids, and he's recently appointed Atlantic County Sheriff, which is a, a massive job and role. So welcome to the show, Eric Scheffler. Hey, thanks, Tom. Thanks, Jim. Hi, Eric. seeing you guys again. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> so how's so when did you get uh well let's go when did you get um put into elected. office sir? so um the sheriff's office i got elected in uh november of, course, of uh, yeah. 2017 and i took uh office uh january 1 oh january 1 they did they, they do like a ceremony or do you just kind of go to your yeah office? there's a swearing in uh, i'm a constitutional officer now <laughs> so um, i'm sworn in by a superior court judge and uh I'm back on the job again. Wow, amazing. Didn't know if that was going to... So, how long is the term for? Uh, the term is three years. Okay. So, uh, we, we, you know, um, I came back on so I could do some, uh, you know, affect some change, honestly. And, right. And uh, a lot of it has to do with a social platform as well as training and professional development for my own agency. Right, right. Um, and, and we'll see if we can do some good over the next three years. Nice. Now, after the three years... Run again for the office, or is it too soon to uh, make that decision? Has anyone asked you that? Yeah, well, that, that's a really interesting question because as uh, soon as I got in, the yeah. first thing I was asked was, um, "Are you gonna are you gonna run again?" And, and, and several <laughs> people told told me that uh, you know you need to start running for your next election today. Wow, your first day in the office. They're probably and, right. Yeah. That's not me, you know. Um, no, it's not. I, I told him, look, I had a I have a social platform. I have some things that I want to accomplish over the next couple of years. And as long as I can do some positive things, both for my office as well as the community at large, I'll consider running again. If not, I'll be in my, another retirement. So another um, retirement. <laughs> we'll see how long it goes. Uh, and we are doing some positive things. Uh, we've changed some stuff within the office. Mm -hmm. We changed the rank structure. We changed the um, the units, and uh, we we're doing some uh, you know positive things when it comes to mental health and addiction within the community. Oh wow! Hey, let's for a second let's step way back, and then we'll come back to to what you're doing now in your current job. But I'd like to go back to a little history of martial arts and how how we met. <laughs> do you remember that story? Yes. All right. Well, I do. All right. So here, so what's that? Eric? <laughs> I said, do you remember? It? Of course, I do. I, I was sober. <laughs> so so here's what happened. So here's how Eric uh, came into my life. Uh, is I was down at, I forget the casino. Was it the Tropicana maybe? It was Tropicana. It was Tropicana. And there was an MMA event there. And I had a fighter in the event. And um, uh, he was, you know, they had the cage out there. And it's before the show is starting. So I don't believe anyone is in, in the audience yet. Or maybe they were just starting to come in. But anyway, my fighter had left a gym bag somewhere around the cage and we couldn't find it. Now, why does that matter? Cause it had everything we needed in it, you know, from <laughs> the cause and the gloves and his cup and mouthpiece, it was gone. So I'm looking up and down going everywhere I can trying to find it. And then there's a cop standing there and I don't know what possessed yeah. me to go up to this, to, 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 to this officer. So I walk up to Eric and have a business card, I guess in my, in my hand. And I said, you know, officer, can you do me a favor? If you see um, a gym bag just sitting by itself, uh, could you call my cell phone? It's my fighters. And then he sits there and his, I believe his arm, I can tell you, he had his one arm down, his other hand on his chin. You know this stance, right? <laughs> like he's ready to chop me in the throat if I get out of hand. <laughs> yeah, he's always ready. He's very so. He's sitting back. He's cool. He's calm. You know, he's he's Clint Eastwood. He's dirty hairy, you know? And uh, so um, then he goes, you're Jim McCann. And I go, 
I forget what he said. Did I say yes, I am, or did I say uh, no? But I saw him in the back. <laughs> you know, like why is this? How the fuck does this cop know who I am? Yeah. So then he goes, "You're Jimmy Can." And the reason was for whatever reason, Eric kind of. Did, I get. How did you figure out who I was? I forget that story. So, so that it, you're absolutely right. It's exactly what happened. I don't know if you remember what I told you about your possibilities of getting that bag back, was but yeah, um, yeah, I do. I, <laughs> But I, I, I looked at the card. I'm like, you're Jim McCann. So uh, as you you and Tom know, um, I've been training in martial arts since I was nine years old. Right. Um, many different arts. And uh, the reason why I actually started martial arts altogether was the Enter of the Dragon, which oh, okay. uh, we know mm-hmm. is Bruce Lee. Yes. So I've always been very fond of, you know, of course, Bruce Lee and JKD and and. Um, I never found, honestly, a JKD that resonated with who I was and how right. I perceived martial arts. I, I, I trained with a lot of uh, really good JKD practitioners, and, and not to say they, they weren't good. They were good in their own right. But I was looking for something that resonated on the way I moved, the way I thought. Um, and I was basically surfing the Internet probably a week before we met. Oh, wow. And I And old school JKD came up. Uh-huh. And I, some films of you came up and oh. I was like, you know, and, and you were local, you were, you know, right in Pennsylvania at the time training. Yeah. And, um, I was like, I gotta, I gotta find this guy. And I think I may have even emailed you prior. Oh, I this. don't remember. Uh, and I didn't get a response, but you know, that's just <laughs> <a> gold check. <laughs> that's so he was funny. testing you. <laughs> yeah. Does he really so, want to uh, learn my JKD? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so when you gave me the card, I was like, "Wow, this is fate." That is so, so funny. Uh, you actually did give me your number on the back, and then you actually uh, you uh, you answered my phone call. Amazing. <laughs> that was the beginning. That was the beginning of the love story. <laughs> yes, it was. It and then I was I was lucky enough to see a human being. I've never seen anyone punch so hard with a lead hand in my entire life. Oh, thank you. Um, and the, the day I came up and trained with you and. And you were so gracious that day. I mean, it was amazing. I've trained with a lot of world-class martial artists, as you guys know, from yeah. every probably art you could think of. Um, and Jim is definitely one of them. I account Jim on one of the best martial artists I've ever trained with. But mm. the selflessness... Did you hear that, Tom? That, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> you should, did you write it down? I didn't see you write it down. Yeah. <laughs> Put it the on your selflessness fridge. selflessness that you shared your art with me that day. Yeah. The amount of time you spent with me. I think I... I, uh, you know, I came up for a, uh, an hour private. I think I ended up spending four hours with you, and we went to lunch. I think. Oh um, Jesus! I think I, I might have paid though. But, uh, <laughs> nah, cops are cheap. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I don't but it pay was for an nothing. Incredible experience, and uh, yeah. you know, it was exactly, honestly, the the thing I was looking for to right. add to what I was doing. Yeah, and then you know, through the subsequent years, we remained real good friends and introduce you to Mick Thornton and then you know we've come down you've come up and we've been training a couple times a year for geez how long ago was that eight years maybe yeah it's got to be at least I was a sergeant at the time wow um and uh, I retired as a lieutenant and I've been out from the police department three years so and I was lieutenant three years it's got to be at least eight years at least at least so going back so when you started training nine would you do we'll get the regular start like was it regular traditional stuff or did you all right go yes. through this so the first thing I ever trained in was Taekwondo. Yeah. Uh, it was a local Taekwondo guy. I was nine years old. I got it for my as a birthday present uh, to go train. And uh, um, his name was Tim Davis. He was a he was from he learned um, Taekwondo in the military, and mm-hmm. he was a black belt. And he was doing some kickboxing. It was kickboxing back then was really popular uh, in right. the Atlantic City area. So. Um, he was a kickboxer and I ended up training with him, spent a few years, uh, you know, I trained with him for a couple of years and then I, honestly, he, he disappeared. So not unlike some martial artists, right. uh, I've had a few instructors disappear on me in my day. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not saying anything, Jim. Are they it's avoiding old. you? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it just, you know, my love affair never stopped. Yeah, yeah, and and you and name some of the people you've trained with. Is it, there were, not everyone obviously you've trained with was world was known. Yeah. I mean, I've learned a lot of stuff. We've talked about this multiple times uh, on the show where I, I've learned a lot of stuff from guys in their garage. 
Just because yes. you don't have a big, gigantic school doesn't mean you're not a phenomenal martial artist. I agree. I agree. And I've learned from students uh, as well, I mean, who have put me on dis- different paths. But, I, you know, I trained with uh, a good portion of the Gracie family. Yeah. Uh, uh, I trained with uh, Hoist Gracie mm-hmm. and Horian Gracie and Hickson Gracie and Helson Gracie. Um, I've trained with... Uh, Horion, uh, I mean, Elio Gracie, the founding father of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Right. Now, that, when father. you trained with the Gracies, was that in the early 90s? Yeah, I started training with them, yeah, in 92. Yeah, actually, would, right, right before the UFC. Right. So back then, I'll just share a little story, because I've, I've trained with pretty much everyone at that at that time. In the early 90s, around when the first UFC had started and prior, um, there were a lot of guys who were bringing members of the Gracie family out and it was like 265 bucks for like two days four hours each day if I'm something like that and you'd learn the Kimura and how to pass the guard for two days right I mean that's right. pretty much right. and and I thought it was the most exciting most brilliant thing I've ever seen because nobody knew anything so it didn't right. match you learned what three or four moves over two days you know and and then I was pulling it off in fights I'm like Jesus no one knows shit and right the, but but it was uh, you know it was it was revolutionary at the time so that's funny so because I you know, we may have even been at the same seminar you know? yeah you know what we may have been right because yeah, I the first time I ever saw a Gracie was Helsin Gracie and then of course I ran one of their schools for him for a few years uh, one of their uh, groups and I became pretty good friends with a, a couple of them. Uh, you know I spent a lot of time with Helsin and Hoyes uh, for many years you know been out to dinner with the family. Um, but you're absolutely right. I was doing judo at the time. So I'll give you a quick story. So I, I, I by the time the Gracie came came around, I was in my early 20s. And I was a fairly accomplished martial artist. At least I thought I was. I was a decent, <laughs> decent kicker, puncher. Right. Uh, I had some Kempo karate background. I did some Tai Chi. I did a little Wing Chun at the time. Oof. Um, I, you know, I boxed with a few different groups. Um, I could hold my own. Yes. A buddy of mine, uh, Bob Garbett, who's a local legend down by us, rowing family, uh, he was about 260. He was going to Princeton at the time. He was a lineman. I was about 210. And I always was a- able to kind of, you know, kind of outmaneuver him. We would play fight, basically, you know, roughhouse a little bit. I'd slap him around, move around. He picked me up over his head, slammed me on the ground, and got <laughs> on top of me. And I was done. That's I great. couldn't move. So I was like, holy cow. I, I need to do something. I, I have a hole in my game. Right. So I went to this uh, Dick Waters, who was uh, Ocean City. I think Dick and his brother um, were both on the Olympic judo team. Wow. And, and this time, Dick was probably in his 60s. And um, he was still teaching. And I ended up training with him a little bit. And this guy, literally, he could put two fingers on your, your shirt and literally lift you up and toss you across the street. I mean, it was amazing how powerful he was. Right. But I was in his class, and I was kind of doing, you know, judo and trying to learn, you know, ground game. Well, the Gracie's tapes came out, yeah. and I bought them. Um, and I started, you know, training some of the Gracie tapes, going over the judo class, uh, trying to do some moves. Um, so I guess since I had the Gracie tapes, I was on some kind of mailing list. So Helsing Gracie came to New Jersey. It was up north. I, don't yeah, I was at that seminar. As God is my witness, I was at that seminar. It was like in, Were you? on Route 22 or something like that. Yes, yes. Is that amazing? And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, um, um, that is so funny. Uh, it was at a little dojo, like a little um, shopping center in the back. and uh, Yes. That, we were, that's sick, right? We were at the same seminar. Fuck. Today. Amazing. Um it was destiny. So, so I, I go to the seminar and I ended up training with, you know, doing the seminar. And, and again, they taught you a couple of decent moves. I right. went back to the judo class. I was killing people on the ground. I, I mean, I only knew five moves. Right. That's all you needed. Right. That's all you needed. And I was killing people with these five moves. Um, of course, I was getting tossed on my head anytime they wanted. But right. when we hit the ground, I was I was hell. So um, that started my, um, my uh, game with... Uh, with uh, with the Gracies, Steve wow. Maxwell. I don't know if you remember. Steve. Of course, I know yeah. Stephen. I've trained with him. Yeah, Steve was at that seminar. Steve was, was he, a blue yes, belt he was. That's Hulk. how I got to know him. He was located yeah. in Philly. Does a lot of kettlebell and fitness stuff now. I think he became yeah. a black belt under them, and then he kind of yes. went into the fitness. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So what? Well, that's crazy, you know. 
So we were destined to be. We're like false star, star lovers. Ah, that's so funny. So, hey, like, what drew you towards law enforcement then? It's a good question. He so, needed a job. Uh, I, yeah, I needed a job. Yeah. Um, I always was interested in law enforcement, always admired it. You know, uh, it, in my, you know, um, mindset, it was, you know, it was part of, uh, you know, who, you know, the protective world. And I, I was always like a protector. I was always a little bit bigger than most kids my grade. And um, I was always that kid who stood up for the weak kid. So mm-hmm. it kind of seemed like a destined thing. And I, uh, I'll, t- I'll share a funny story with you. So when I was um, probably eight or nine years old, my mother and father went away and they brought home a silver sheriff's badge. And my mother had an engraver. And she put on the badge... And it said sheriff on the front, but underneath of it, she put Eric the kid. <laughs> so, so growing up, I kept this badge in my drawer, and it was just a sentimental thing. It was like a, you know, it was really, it was kind of like an antique thing. And you know, my friends, you know, growing up, we were, you know, the wild bunch teenagers, and and they would find it, and they would always make fun of, you know, Sheriff Eric the kid, Sheriff Eric the kid, That's right? Great. So. One day, of course, I become a police officer in my early 20s. And they're like, oh, my God, it's, it's a premonition. Well, guess what happened when I became the real sheriff? No. <laughs> I got calls from all over the country. So, That's funny. Uh, the Sheriff Eric the Kid uh, actually happened. So when you first became a cop, did you apply in Atlantic City or did you, did you have another job? Because a lot I, of guys will I start actually, in other departments and then they end up. Right. So Atlantic City was like the big show, right? Yeah, no um, doubt. They, when I came on Lane City, they had 430 police officers. So they were so much larger than any other agency. And they were the, you know, they were the place to go be a real cop, per se. You know? right. And I don't believe that. They're, you know, every municipality, every cop is a real cop. But, you know, when you're 20 years old, you're a pretty narrow mind. Well, yeah, and look, AC so, has probably a lot more action than Mayberry. Yeah, we were busy. Uh, you know, it's consistent, if, yeah. I, if, if not consistent. to say the least. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, Consistent so I City, and they, you know, they were hiring 25, 26 officers at a time when other wow. municipalities were hiring one or two. So my chances were much better. No uh, doubt. You know, I was born and raised in Lang City. You know, I graduated from Lang City High School. So I didn't know that. Lang City, wow. Yeah. Lang City's home. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, that's where I thought I'd come on. And, and the funny thing is you, you guys know about my, um, my defense tactics programs that right. I teach and, and I've created over the years for law enforcement. They really came about uh, right after the academy uh, training when I saw what a disconnect um, most defensive tactics programs were no to doubt. real law enforcement, real fighting. I mean, I, growing up, I, I had the occasion to get into a scrap or two, um, yeah. and I did do some, you know, I was a doorman at a couple of different clubs growing up, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I went to Lansing High School, and I, you know, I've been in a few fights, and uh, growing up and, and, you know, the practical application of, of the classical arts have always been my pursuit. You know, um, I, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm the, the, the premier, uh, poster child for any art that I've ever learned. I'm probably the guy you don't want to look at to actually see what their art does, but I've always been able to kind of apply in a effective, you know, live manner. Right. You know, now is that one of your, I'm sorry, Tom. What, is that one of your – look, I, te- I don't know if you even know this. I teach at the Mercer County Police Academy. I teach the defensive tactics there. So I don't even know if you knew this. I've been doing it for about a year now. And, no, I didn't. Well, now you know. And uh, so uh-huh. so what happens is it's my take on this. I don't know if this is one of your platforms, uh, but it seems like in the police academies in general that I'm aware of that defensive tactics tends to take a back seat to writing a parking ticket. Um, mm. you know, that's just my take and I'm a civilian, you know, and I see, holy right. smokes. Now, probably if you're in Atlantic city or Trenton or Camden, maybe even day one, you might have to put your hands on somebody. And yet you've had a whopping eight hours of hand to hand, you know, defensive tactics, um, right. which leaves you completely unprepared. You're the kid from the suburbs in Princeton, New Jersey. Now you're in Trenton. Some guy climbs out of a box and tells you to go F yourself. You're scared shitless. You don't know what to do. You've had eight hours of some self-defense training, you know, maybe it leads to guys using too much force or not knowing what to do or being manhandled. I don't know. Do you, do you, well, uh, do you have a take on that? Yeah, I agree like a thousand percent. And, and the reality of that is, and you know, and 
um, being, uh, you know, a martial artist and being, you know, involved in it for so long. Right. And all the things that we do and we do well. And some people think, oh, you do that so well. Listen, we do that well because I don't stop thinking about it 24 hours a day. Right. I practice every single day. You need and to go to a meeting. For, <laughs> yeah, but, right. We're doing it for 40 years. Right. Um, you think you're going to take eight hours of defensive tactics and put it under a stressful situation. You're never doing it. Never, ever, ever. I don't care how good the program is. So um, I agree 100%. And my program, actually, the book is going to come out uh, next month. I'll make sure you get a copy of oh, uh, Defensive awesome. Tactics Rest Procedures. Um, and one of the things that I created off of my program was a flow drill. Right? And I get, and, and we talked about some of the people that I've had the opportunity to train with. Um, the Gracies, of course, Tim Tackett, you, uh, um, the Syek family, Chris Syek, Tom Kyer, Colin, uh, um, you know, and a bunch of other guys that are really, you know, uh, talented martial artists. Um, I got a chance to train with Kelly Warden, who's an incredible uh, martial artist, and um, I'm probably leaving some people out. But, uh, you know, I've had the opportunity to train with some really talented people. And the, one of the things that I realized is that if we do three or four things super well, um, we can take care of almost any situation. Um, and the only way we're going to be right. able to do three or four things super well is to do them in a consistent base. So I actually created a flow drill that's actually made up of only 12 moves. And you can do the whole flow drill to, as a partner drill in one minute. Wow, so that's if awesome. You, if you learn, and the flow drill is not easy to learn. I'll be the first to say um, because there's a, you know, feeder and a receiver side of it or, or gotcha. like a, mm -hmm. you know, um, but once you learn it, first of all, it gives you conditioning, gives you timing and gives you the ability to do these moves. There's, there's, uh, three or four, uh, ways to defend against a strike. There's three or four strikes. There's three takedowns. Um, there's, uh, two get ups, uh, you know, two escapes. So, I mean, it really just marries itself pretty well and a couple counters thrown in there. So mm -hmm. um, that's the reality. It doesn't matter what you take these guys. If they're not career martial arts, and even career martial arts don't necessarily perform extremely well um, under stress. Not Right. Uh, they fall apart. It, it, it depends on what they're doing and how they're doing it. But if you, if you practice three or four or ten moves every single day, listen, that's what's going to come out under stress. Right. And that's what you know that's really the ability and that will lower force that will lower a multitude of different things right you know what's interesting is and then we'll pop off this but like yeah i i have these statistics which i've looked up and researched essentially out of almost three thousand fights mma fights and it breaks it down uh 80 you know the 80 20 rule right so um right 80 percent of the finishes Submission finishes. We're not. We're excluding punching people or deci decisions. Uh, it's uh, the triangle, the rear naked choke, at, at, not the triangle. Excuse me. The rear naked choke, uh, the guillotine, and the straight arm bar. Eighty percent of the finishes. From, so three moves out of all the moves you can do. Now the triangle, which I've seen taught at police academies. You know, with your legs and you're wrapped around their head right. and whatever. In MMA, in the UFC. Less than 1% of the time that has been finished, meaning completed, a guy tapped out from the triangle. Less than 1% of all the fights. So that means you have an elite athlete. The world's best, arguably some of the world's best fighters, are only finishing that move under stress 1% of that time. Now you're that right. police officer or you're that citizen taking a self-defense class and the guy's teaching you to do a triangle. Well, yeah, how do you think big. you're going to do? And now put the gear on you between two cars in the ghetto. Right. Good luck. <laughs> it's insane insane right well you know and tom and i have talked about this and uh you know um you know i tim tackett who is an incredible martial artist talented talented individual uh, you know i've had the opportunity because of you um uh, to train with them oh probably close to a dozen times right. and because of you and mick i've had access to them you know a little bit more than just being on the mat or being in the dojo with them right so uh my, this is how crazy, you know, look, I have 30, 40 years of martial arts experience, uh, you know, and at the time I met Tim, I probably had 30 and plenty of practical uh, fights uh, right. to apply this to. So after like a second or third uh, seminar with Tim, uh, we got started talking. I think you and I and Nick actually went out and grabbed a burger um, 
that time. I got a little bit of time. And, I, you know, Tim is very impressive and very talented and doing a lot of cool stuff. And, right. And I said, and I said to him, <laughs> I said to him, <laughs> I said, Tim, I said, uh, uh, actually, I said Sifu. And then he corrected me and said, no, it's Tim. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Very uh, humble. I, he said, I said, I really love the drills that we did over the last two days. I'm really excited about going back to my group and, and, you know, kind of working on a couple of these things. He goes, Eric, because everything I told you over the last two days, bullshit. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said, what? It's all bullshit. That's goes, great. Learn how to throw the straight lead punch and the, and the, uh, and the, uh, shin kick, shin knee kick. That's, right. That's it. That's all you need. That's all you need. And you know what? He drove me back to reality again, because as you know, one of the things that I always talk about is bear combatives, you know, the, the bear one or two moves that are going to be super effective. Right. And over the past 10 years, honestly, you know what I've been practicing at old school JKD finger mm. jab to the eye, straight lead and the, and the shin knee kick. That's it. That's All these other things. I don't even know what, what they are, but I, it doesn't I matter. Throw a pretty good straight lead. But yeah, you know? it makes a difference. Absolutely. You and know, I'm we, still far from good with it, but I'm still working on it. It's only been 10 years. It's only been month. 10 years. Now did you take, <laughs> so in your development, when you become a cop, did they, would you still stuck in the traditional martial arts um, before, you know, and when did you realize on the job that you needed to change things? I know for myself when I was did bouncing and for all these bands and bodyguard for these guys that a lot of the stuff that I was taught initially years and years ago, um, you know, before the Internet, you only had books and maybe VHS tapes was a lot of what I was taught was completely useless. And then right. when I really had to throw a guy or take a guy out or defend myself under real circumstances with real multiple opponents, you know, trying to beat my ass, um, it was very simple. Like you said, three, four moves. You know, right. Yeah, so, so were you on the job that this uh, came to you and then or you just always sort of. Well, well, I have been fortunate or unfortunate. It depends on if you're my body or you're my mind. Yeah. If you're my body, I've been very unfortunate. If you're my mind, you're, right. I've been very fortunate to have people in my li life that are, you know, students as well as friends, as well as, you know, martial artists. And you know me. Every time I see you, I'm always like, hey, Jim, let me show you this. What do you <laughs> think? What do you think? You know, yeah. beat it down. Do something to it, right? Right. Um, you that's are. always been my mentality. I'm trying to grow out of that because my body doesn't forgive me anymore. No. Um, but uh, that has challenged my thought and my dogma. And when it has failed, honestly, I have said, okay, what do I need to do to either get this technique better or what do I, where else do I have to go that's more realistic? And that's why my art has always been that chase of the practical application of the Psychology group. Um, I was training with the Gracies pretty long, uh, probably five or six years at the time. And, and I think the world of the Gracies, uh, don't get me wrong in any way, shape or form. They're super talented martial artists and what they do. I don't think there's many that do it as well. If, if anyone, um, but they had some knife defenses, right? Yeah. And we were trying them and we were trying to stab each other and, and as hard as we could, and we couldn't stop each other from being stabbed. Um, in fact, we were stabbing the, the snot out of each other. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, these moves just weren't working and all the other traditional martial arts that I learned that weren't blade arts. Um, I, I was trying to use all the Taekwondo and the Kempo and, you know, everything I could think of to stop this blade from going into my body. Cause it happened to be a concern of mine being a cop. Right. Um, but, uh, uh, again, because of my journey, uh, I absolutely, I, I kind of stumbled on Tom Kyer. Do you know Tom, Jim? I don't think so. Tom Kyer is a two-on in the Sayakali system. Uh, oh, he's okay. one of the most mm -hmm. talented uh, blade people I've ever met in my life. Right. Um, and I was actually at Steve Maxwell's gym training, uh, doing jiu-jitsu. And, I, you know, uh, Billy and I and a bunch of my training partners were, you know, trying all kinds of other things and stabbing each other to hell and, you know, on our training times. And I look up and on the wall was a flyer uh, about Cy Kali and right. Tom Kyer. And I called this guy, and Tom and I became really good friends and trained uh, together for many, many years, and we traveled a little bit, did some seminars. He helped me create a law enforcement program for Blade. Um, and, you know, that's my, my love of Blade came. Uh, and, you know, I have, a, I have a fondness for the knife. So, um you know, that, that, that's how that came about. So it's kind of been a chase for me my whole life. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm still chasing, you know, 51 years old and 
I'm far from uh, learning, far from done, you know? <laughs> well, I think that's important. Remain, look, and whatever you do is that curiosity and remaining a student. You know, I was watching something the other day or reading something. I forget what it was. And I talked about, you know, once you're proclaimed to be a master, it's all over because you start to believe your own bullshit. And, right. Uh, you know, you got to be that student, like you said, learning from whoever it might be. Oh, I saw that looked cool. Let's try this, you know, and uh, that's kind of how I've always approached training for myself. Always trying to discover new things. Hmm, what can I do with that? You know, and the end result. Now, when you came up with the combatives, when when did you decide to actually organize that? Well, that's a good question. So I started probably about maybe as soon as about five years into the job. Um, we're seeing a real failure. I came up with my escort hold. Honestly, I, I, maybe a, I was probably only three or four years into the job. And my escort hole is, is a modified Russian. And it actually, I got it from Tom Kyer. Tom not only was a blade guy, but also a very talented wrestler, uh, state wrestling champ. Right. Um, so how did it, I come up with the, and I saw the complete failure out of the old escort holes. I was in, on a job. We were into projects. It was a dark uh, hallway. It was a domestic. I had a guy probably a little bit bigger than I am, and I'm 6'2", 220. He was probably 6'3", 250. And there was an officer standing in front of him. We separated him from uh, his uh, his uncooperative uh, spouse, and uh, he was uncooperative <laughs> as well. And yeah. um, and uh, we were interviewing him while another officer was interviewing her, and he reached into his pocket quickly. Ooh. I reached and grabbed his arm as soon as I saw it go into his pocket in a approved uh, law enforcement. Uh, fully certified escort hole, and within about a half a second, I no longer had his hand in my his arm in my hand. Yeah. He was standing in front of me, and I had my hands up. You know, at that point, I thought, "All right, now we're just going to fight." But the thing about law enforcement, you uh, on many many occasions, more than just arresting people, you have to put your hands on people, right. escorting them out, um, helping you know people that are you know intoxicated, uh, moving someone. Uh, you know, maybe just trying to control the situation and you have to be able to do it where you don't put yourself in a vulnerable situation. So I started working on a way that I could put my hands on you, that if you decide to attack me, I still could stay ahead of you. Because as you know, half of, uh, more than half the fight, 90% of the fight is if I'm ahead of you and you're chasing me, you got, you got, you're going to have to catch up. Right. So, um, and I'm going to put a hurting on you. And if I can, if I can do that and I can motivate you to no longer want to hurt me um, by staying ahead of you, then, you know, I win that game. Right, right, right. And then, so when you organize, obviously it's completely different now than when it initially was. Because I've done things early on and started keeping track and designing things. And then I go back and go, Ooh, you know, consistently changing it and making modifications. So it's never it's, over. No, it's a lot of art, right? So. The pain of putting this book together, honestly, and you have—I I think you have a set of my DVDs. I do, um, which, which are from from uh, ninety or what are they? Two thousand four. Yeah. So they're fourteen years old now. Wow. I I'm completely different from that day, and and one of the pains to putting this book together was knowing that this is changing constantly. What's today, you know? But I felt it was important for me to put it into some type of written form. Um, to kind of memorialize what I've done, you know, and who knows? Uh, I have right now, I have um, nine instructor trainers, 29 instructors. I have 19 police departments that do my program. But you know what, Jim, 20 years from now, who knows if they'll even remember what I thought. But <laughs> there, will be a, there will be a book. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it'll be on a, right, you know what Hawk, Hawkheim says, and, you know, when he dies, his system's over, it's through, and, you know, he said, I'm not arrogant enough to think it's going to go on without me, you know. So, right, because you put this book out, it might be perfectly relevant today and how to do that. Things will change. Weapons will change. Criminals will change. And Absolutely. so it'll have to change. So at one point, your your book will be a reference, like Fairbairn's book or something. And, right. Right. And you go, right. oh, this is some really cool shit, you know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, and you're right. I'm not naive to think that it's going to survive me or, or anything. But at this point... You know, you're right. It could be a reference. I mean, it's funny because uh, I think uh, Tom and I were talking about uh, Tai Chi. Yeah. You know, and when in my early 20s or 
I, I, I had the opportunity to uh, train with a Kempo uh, black belt. He's fifth degree black belt under um, Ed Parker and a very super talented martial artist. And he uh, did Tai Chi. And he actually, uh, I found him by accident again. And uh, I knocked on his door. He told me, I'm not doing Kempo anymore. I'm done. I'm his done. name is Fran Farrell. He's a local guy down in South Jersey. Super yeah. talented martial artist. And he, I, I was 19. I was aggressive. I was energetic. And somehow I conned him into teaching me Kempa. Um, and I started taking private lessons. And I ended up teaching at one of his schools for a little bit. And we had a pretty good relationship for a few years. Um, one of the things he said was, if I'm going to teach you Tai Chi, you have to learn. I mean, if I'm going to teach you Kempo, you have to learn Tai Chi. So I did. I did painstakingly. I didn't want to do it. I did it because it was a condition uh, of a 19-year-old kid. The one thing that I do consistently, honestly, right now, for the past 10 years, is Tai Chi. Really? That's so and, funny. And I see, when I see the Tai Chi, I see all the CQC stuff. I, I, I've learned from Herb Schreiman, who's uh, one of the Gungo Schwan master instructors, another world-class guy I forgot to mention, um, who was a Bob Casper student, oh, yeah. uh, one of the Seven Dragons. Uh you know, I see the CQC is there. I see the JKD there. I see the Kali there. I see the jujitsu there. I mean, I, but I see it in a modern, uh, you know, at least at this time in my life. It won't be modern, like you said, 10 years from now. But I see a different application of the movements. I know a lot of the classical uh, the moves of my form, but they don't make sense in today in a lot of ways, you know. Um, but I see it in, in a more modern version of it. Does that make sense? It does. It does. You see the connection? I, Go ahead, Tom. I, I think a lot of the Tai Chi stuff, and it's not something I've studied, but but the extreme stuff of you know doing it in a park in America or something like that is is the opposite end of where it came from, and they've stripped out and they don't identify that fighting style. And I think with a lot of martial arts, they go from the physical side and end up at the mental side, whereas with Tai Chi, I've heard it goes the other way. Um, well, which is interesting. It is. And, and I, I see the merit in a lot of it, what it's doing and all the principles, you know, the shifting of the weight and, and the, and the alignment and, you know, and precision and all those things are things that I've been taught in so many other arts and including Jim. And, and I, and I, and I would beg the difference with you, Tom, you have yeah. trained Tai Chi. Um, yeah. but you just didn't do it in a formal way because a lot of the movements from a lot of the arts that you've done, I mean, remember Tai Chi is a 2,500 year old art. You've trained it. Um, yeah. You've done the moves. Yeah. You just didn't recognize it as Tai Chi, and you've learned the principles because they're there when when you look at it as a combative art. An interesting one from my uh, RA, uh, my Arnis instructor, uh, Tuhon Pato Mali. He what he he used to set a young guy who was who's now been with him for for many years. Who, who he, you know, young guy, a bit annoying, always asking questions. So he'd, they used to have <laughs> posters in the gym of different martial arts. And he'd say to them, you know, what weapon system is that based on? Because he said every every martial art started off as a weapon system. Um, and this kid would go away and he'd look at it and he'd think about it for a week and he'd come back and apparently he'd always get it right. And he'd go, oh, it's bow staff because of like the, the way they were angling certain shots or, oh, it's, uh, it's sticks or it's sword or it's knife. And and the open hand, um, you, you know, those those influences in Tai Chi, they'll, they'll be, it will have come from somewhere and it will, the way the body moves, we all move the same, whether we're from South America or uh, Japan or North America, et cetera, et cetera. Um, our bodies can only move in certain directions. So, so you know, to, there isn't really anything that's truly, truly new. No, anyway, Eric, yeah, no. I, I did want to ask you about, about some police work. <laughs> because um, it, it's aside from Hock Hockheim, you're the second person we've had who's worked in law enforcement. And one question I wanted to start with, which I, I think is quite a deep one, and I guess it, it's it's a it's a stumbling block for some people why they don't move into law enforcement, is I guess have you ever felt conflicted where you're you're duty bound to follow the law, and um, but but conversely your moral compass might say well look this guy's just smoking weed i'll let him go or something like that but you're, you're duty bound to you know follow the law is is this is that something you found is that something you've ever had to wrestle with uh honestly no uh, because you know what 
when I, I try not to be a hypocrite. I, you know, I signed on for something. Um, I, I don't, I'm not the judge and jury and executioner. Um, I have certain rules and, and there is discretion in law enforcement on a lot of right. things. Um, and in a lot of times, especially when it's not a clear, uh, you know, violation, but when there's, or uh, of law, you know, yeah. Um, but when there is a clear violation of law, I'm not, it's not my place sure. to make that judgment. It's someone else's place to say, yeah. hey, this wasn't a big deal or this was this. And, um, you know, when it was my discretion, I used it. And yeah. I used it, I thought, you know, in, in, in the best proper way. Law enforcement is a tough profession. I don't wish it on anyone. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the best, you know, most honorable professions out there. And I, and I respect, uh, you know, the men and women who put their lives online on a daily basis. But it's a tough place to be. And, and it's a tough place because you know, of all the outside as well as the inside uh, effects that you get, um, you know, dealing with, you know, everything from physical threat to emotional to all kinds of different things that you have to experience on a daily basis. I mean, it's one of the highest uh, uh, professions of divorce, of substance abuse, of gambling, of, uh, you know, and it's it's not because there's bad people going into this profession. It's because... The profession changes people. You go into police force as this whole person, right, with all these boxes in your life filled, uh, you know, friends that aren't cops, uh, hobbies that you like to do, you know, like, uh, you know, building puzzles and, and uh, yeah. reading books <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and weightlifting and, and, and thinking about good food and, and do, you know, having good relationships with other people, your family, your wife, your kids. And within five years, you have none of those boxes anymore. It's because it's, it's 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 a real lifestyle choice, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a, it, it takes a toll on you emotionally and physically, and it will change you. And and, let, and you know that's one of the things that today I was up at that uh, symposium about um, resiliency, and it's mm. a it's a new push in New Jersey uh, that we're going to push out uh, statewide uh, with uh, with many different uh, agencies: the Attorney General's Office, DCJ, State Police. Burlington County uh, Prosecutor's Office, Lanning County Sheriff's Department, of course, um, and uh, many others, uh, Maple Shade Police Department, uh, Medford, yeah. they're all on board. We're pushing out a resiliency program trying to, you know, people are, you know, keep saying, well, what, what is resiliency? It's like this hot topic. In my mindset, it is about making police officers whole again, you know, um, and allowing them to live a, a you know, enriched life uh, that they deserve. Yeah. And what 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 skills do you you've done, you've come up with loads of training programs so it's really impressive to read about. Um, what what skills do you feel that when these guys graduate from the academy that they they, they aren't getting that you, the gaps that you've needed to fill? Well, the truth of the matter is the academy prepares you for a certain level of entrance, um, and and although most of if not all you know, these police academies out here strive extremely hard to create a whole police officer, you know, nothing creates you like experience. Mm. Right. So, um, and you, you know, you, you, you're never going to be able to, you know, take the books and turn it into real experience. It's just not going to happen. Experience will shape that officer and will show them what their gaps are as they grow. And, and depending on who you are and what you are, you have different gaps in different areas. I mean, you, I, Jim said it. You can't take someone for eight hours, give them defensive tactics, and think they're going to effectively be a martial yeah. artist and be able to defend themselves. Well, firearms, you get 40 hours in Jersey, which is a phenomenal amount of time. But guess what? I got to make a split second decision. <laughs> um, yeah, under stress. You know, under stress with a firearm that I just shot for 40 hours. Some people have never shot a gun before in their life before they come into the academy. Yeah, so right. th- there's n- none, of the, none of those things are enough. Um, you know, and, and when you started out, were you, you straight into the firing? Like, did you, did, you know, was it like day one really rough? And do you think over the years as well as it got tougher? What I'm sorry, with what in reference to? So, so when, when you were straight out of the academy, was it, you know, straight into right violent life, you did know, you jump life into or the death fire? situations? Yeah. So the truth of the matter is I was in my early 20s and I, I, I was so naive. I had no idea what was going on. It was just. I would have went to work for free at that time. You know, I went home and I slept in my uniform. 
I couldn't wait to go back to work the next day. <laughs> um, it was just it was so exciting. There was so much <gasps> adrenaline. We were running from call to call to call every night. Nights went by. I mean, I you'd go to roll call and uh, in a blink of an eye, they were sending me home. I couldn't believe it. I don't want to go home. <laughs> awesome. Um, you know, but within a few years, that yeah, wears that off. And, and then you start thinking, oh, wow, I could have got killed on that call. Yeah, but oh, it was fun. Maybe I should have stayed to the side of the door on that call. Right, that's um, funny. I was, you know, I was completely unprepared for that, you know. Um, and a couple times, in, you know, and in, in, uh, you start going to some suppression hearings in uh, <clears throat> Superior Court and Federal Court, job changes. And you start thinking, wow, I need to start developing more as a whole police officer on a multitude of different levels. And what are the sort of challenges are you facing more and more these days in, as, you know, in, in Atlantic County? Well, of course, as the sheriff, you know, I'm, I'm in an administrative uh, position now and not so much a, as a, either a line officer or even a line commander. Um, and, you know, my challenges as a law enforcement executive is to try to, and we talked about this, is about the resiliency and try to get, make police officers whole again and, and let, let them and their families, you know, enjoy their, their hard work. Um, and also educate the general public on who police officers are. I mean, we're, we're regular people. You know, mm. we're seen as this, like, outside force, you know. We're like, we're fascists, you know. We're, um, but the truth is we're not. We're human beings that have sworn an oath to uphold the law we don't make the laws um and we don't judge on the laws we just enforce them and uh you know there's a this big wall between us and the public and i think it has a lot to do with not understanding um what we go through or what we experience or what's going on i'll, I'll tell you a quick uh story so uh i was just at, at this uh symposium and one of the things they were talking about was um civilians going in during a training period and giving a choice to shoot or don't shoot mm. and they're given a gun and they're uh and they're shown a scenario of a, another person pointing a gun at a at an unarmed person and if you ask any police officer anywhere they would tell you probably without deviation that's a shoot scenario someone's pointing mm. a gun at another person i come on scene I, I am sworn to protect that person. I, I wouldn't think you'd get less than 100% in law enforcement. Yeah. So the civilians go in and they take this training and they're put under a little bit of stress. Not a lot. I mean, they're in a you know a room. No one's really shooting at them. The gun's not even pointing at them. And 80% of them pull the trigger and shoot right. this person. I, I have heard that. Okay? So they took another control group and they showed them the same picture but didn't put them in the scenario, didn't put them in the gun. And they and only 11 percent of that group says that that was a shoot scenario. Mm. So they don't understand even on any level what they're seeing or experience. Multitude of different people are like, well, can't you talk the guy out of the gun? Or yeah. Can you, can you, before you <laughs> yeah. shoot them, you should really know if they're going to shoot that person. Well, now am I reading your mind? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, need to have uh, a discussion. Or, or you should you should make sure that gun is real. Should I stand in front of it or check it? Can I hold that gun for a second? Sir? Stick your finger in the okay. hole and see if here, here, I'll give it back to you. You take the shot. Right. But again, we are, we, what I'm trying to make a point is that we're, there's a disconnect. Disconnect between the general public, who police are and what they are, you know, what, what they're really experienced and, and what they really are. And, sure. and I think if we could build a bridge in any level to connect, you know, to educate the general public, it's, the police are just like you. Right. You know? I think one of the, the challenges that which is a huge challenge because that uh, perceived uh, wall between the general public and the police, especially in certain communities and stuff. So, like, if you had do you have like what are the, the top five things that you're hoping to do as a sheriff? Do you have like a list like this is these are the top five. You know, there's only so many things you can be able to do. Your time will allow. And of course, you have to run it through other people. I mean, you, you're not the king, I guess. So you don't just get to go. OK, moving forward, we're doing this. You have to pass it right. past. What legislature? Well, I'm not, uh, I'm not the king, but I am the sheriff. Um, <laughs> and, and, and the and the interesting thing is, I don't truly have a boss other than the governor. Um, oh, so I, I don't have really. to run by my programs in front of anyone. Oh. Um, although when it comes to the political world, which I I'm not experienced at, and I'm a new, 
you know, a new elected official, and I've never ran for anything in my life, um, to make sure that I keep the bridges open and not burn them to the ground right. will actually allow it to affect that change that I'm interested in. So I do have people I need to work with in order to get things yeah, done. Yeah, you got to work with those. Um, yeah, so the, the top five, I mean, I don't know if I have five, but I, I definitely have, you know, the, the mental health and addiction resiliency for law enforcement, health and wellness. I have, you know, of course, uh, you know, um, the tactical safety side, the physical side of, of training that I would like to continue to push forward at a higher level. Um, I have the general public uh, health and wellness program as well as mental health and addiction, which I'd like to talk briefly about. Um, and, um, you know, I have the general public's health and wellness. I do this uh, lecture called Becoming Your Own First Responder. And it's not really turning people into martial artists, but it's, it's teaching people, hey, during a critical incident, if you, you know, if you do something, you're much better, you have a much higher rate to survive. And we even talk about tactical right. first aid. You know, because we know that most of these critical instances, people die of blood loss. And I'm not just talking about an active shooter or violent intruder. I'm talking about a car accident. I'm talking about a camping accident. Yeah. Um, so having those skill sets, is, I think, is truly important. So it's something that I've been going around and lecturing on, working on. Um, and there may be a book in the future. So, <laughs> um, you know, so those are the things I really like to continue to get out there. And, and, and if I can affect that, I, I, I'm excited about it. But. Let me, can I talk about Hope One of real course, quick? Of course, yes, go ahead. So, yes, please, yeah, Hope, yeah. Hope One is a mobile recovery unit uh, that is going to go out into the community twice a week with a recovery coach, a clinician, a sheriff's officer. Uh, we're going to do Narcan training out there. We're going to have an employment specialist. We're going to have some people from the Veterans Affair to help uh, sign up veterans for benefits. We've just made a relationship with uh, uh, Legacy um, addiction of, of services, and they're going to help us. They do a lot of things on the Medicaid side. We're going to get Medicaid uh, numbers for people that don't have it, and we're going to go out there with a, with an index of services that are available that day. If someone comes up and says, look, I need help today. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a heroin addict. I have a mental health issue. We're not going to give them a card and tell them to make a phone call. We're going to connect them that moment, That's great. and we're, we're going we're gonna to get them help. That's awesome. Um, so I'm super excited about it. Awesome. Um, and, there, uh, we'll for those who don't know, partners. can I interrupt real quick? For those who don't know, at least if you're, I don't know about in the UK and stuff, and I guess it's throughout the country, there's a huge issue uh, with addiction, uh, opiates especially. You know, it often starts with, you know, the teenager stealing pills out of the mom's cabinet. And, you know, they, they're stuck on those. I think they go for, look, I don't go and buy, but they're like 25 bucks on the street. They run out of that right. money, then they go to dope. You know, and start, and it gets worse and worse. And it's you just, and everybody's affected by it. The families, the housewives are addicted. So it's a huge undertaking. It needs to be head on. And that treatment and the, and the preemptive tactics that you're approaching it are great because it's not about sentencing them to jail. It's about getting nah. them to the help so they can be productive citizens. You can't arrest your way out of this situation. Never. And, 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 you know, one of the things that we, you know, and, uh, that we don't do well is connecting people with services. There's a right. lot of services out there, but they're not easy to navigate and they're mm -hmm. not easy to find regardless if you know where you come from or what your background is. And, and if you're actually on the street, they're 10 times harder to find. Right. Um, so um, one of the things I'm trying to do is cut through that and, and try to make that connection. Um, and it's, it's, you know, I'm super excited about it. I would love to take full credit for Hope One Atlantic County. Um, I, <laughs> okay. I take full credit for Hope, Hope One Atlantic County, but Hope One is actually a brainchild of a the Mars County Sheriff Jim Gannon. Okay. I got an opportunity to go up there a couple months ago. We saw his operation, and uh, Newark PD was up there as well. I think they've already wrote, uh, they've already put out their Hope One, and I think we'll be the third in the state to have a Hope One. We I asked him if I could use the name. He said absolutely super gracious guy um and we're trying to build upon what he's doing and learn from what they're doing as well so awesome. and that's a big part of what you're doing building relationships with other police departments other states i think you said your training courses are in about 36 police departments at the moment or something like that is that right yes and um, we're you know we're in um uh new jersey and pennsylvania at this point 
Good. That's awesome. Excellent. Now, we're going to have to wrap it up here in a little bit now. Real quick. I've, I've got to... one more question of I course, wanted to ask before we close. Tom, Sorry, Jim. Tom sets an agenda, and I, and I, <laughs> I don't follow his agenda. And it drives <laughs> him batshit crazy. He even said, look, I'm going to see if I can find He sent me a message. Hang on. We're going to hold on for one second. Um, and I don't even know where this is. He said, okay, also said, there we go. Okay, he's, he had sent me, like, he'll do this. And it, I really do appreciate it. I just don't follow. So he sends questions and history about people, which I do. I do it on my own, but not to his. He's, like, obsessive compulsive. Actually, he's got <laughs> he's got, <laughs> he's got the CDO. You, ever, you know what CDO is? It's OCD, yeah. but alphabetical order. <laughs> 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 So, so, so Tom sends me all this shit, you know, and then, and then at the bottom of his email says, uh, uh, okay. He says, I know you'll never stick to it. (laughs) So he, Tom, do you feel unappreciated? Sometimes. Ah, That's just tough shit. Okay. Ask your question. (laughs) Okay. The question is, so, so a combatives guy that I won't name, but someone that I respect quite a lot was talking recently on a kind of YouTube video and I asked him, you know, I guess, did you have any regrets or anything like that? And he said he wishes that he had dropped martial arts by that. I mean, you know, various aspects, you know, particular styles earlier in the favor of, I guess, for, of um, tested fighting combative stuff. So, um, you know, think Kraft Magari or, or, or similar, similar things. Um to what extent do you agree with that, given your sort of operational experience and the fact that you've done, you've learned from a lot of martial arts? Um, I don't agree, honestly. I mean, I'm sure he's a very talented martial artist and, 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 and can, you know, whatever. But um, I think I learned from every every art I ever did. And, in fact, I, I'm more interested in, in other arts. There's always a, a diamond in a pile of rocks somewhere. And many of these arts have these diamonds, regardless if you – agree with high kicking or low kicking or or grappling or stick fighting or blade um or you know soft arts or hard arts every single one of them has a diamond there that you could take and that's what builds that you know i i don't i think my arts are fairly combative i mean jim could be the judge of that and um you know no matter what i apply it to um and I, I, every one of them, from my stick fighting to my blade to my ground fighting to my punching and kicking, has to be a combination of five or ten arts. And I haven't found them all yet that I love. So I can mm. always pull one move from here, one move from there, one principle, one thought, one thing. The only regret I have in martial arts, honestly, and we spoke about this earlier, is I would have been kinder to my body <laughs> if I would have known I was going to live this right. long. <laughs> I know I was going to live this long. <laughs> That's great. Hey, Eric, if thank yeah. you, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. Yeah. And, and we were scheduled a couple of weeks ago, but your your new job it, it is very demanding. It requires your time. And, and I want to thank you for everything you've done for us and, and uh, appreciate your friendship. And um, if someone needs to get a hold of you or wants to get a hold of you, is there a number they can call to outreach to for anything? Is there like a, a public Absolutely. number? Absolutely. What would that so, be? Uh, they could uh, reach me at the sheriff's office, uh, and the number is uh, 609-909-7211. Uh, they could also uh, go to our website, and they can email us at the Atlantic County Sheriff's Office if, uh, they're, if they need help or they have any ideas that how to help other people. Um, I'm partnershipping with as many people as possible. I realize in this part of my life that I can't do it alone. Um, and I need as many, uh, you know, partners as I can get. Right. And I, you know, I, I thank you for the time for coming on your show. No, it's always great you. to talk to you, Tom and Jim. And I'm so <laughs> glad you're doing so well, Jim, seriously, from the bottom of my heart, you know, I, I have unbelievable respect and, uh, <laughs> for you. And, and I, Thank you know, you, and I, and I'm really happy uh, that you're doing so well, and you know, hopefully we can get together and grab a bite. Yeah, uh, you're going to come up. Late, you're coming up in June. I am coming up in June. Okay, so we'll see you in a couple weeks. And, okay, and we'll do that. <laughs> M, uh, Tom, is there any anything you want to promote? Uh, no, 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 no. No, Not JKD that. London. No, Rapid Arnie. <laughs> 
Ah, oh, it's okay. That's okay. okay. <laughs> Everyone's heard it. Keep, if they keep listening to the shows, they've heard they it. They do. They get what well, you got to keep promoting. You got re- to be like Don King and keep promoting. You know. You're right. Hey, uh, it's right. been another great show. Uh, you're listening to Primal Radio. You can listen to us on HamiltonRadio.net. You can listen to us on Speaker, iHeart, iTunes, and a whole bunch of other things. This show, uh, Tom will post up. Um, you can hear us Saturday night on HamiltonRadio.net, 9 p.m. UK time and 9 p.m. New York time. Another great show. Uh, All right, everybody. Peace out. You have been listening to Primal Radio in association with Primal Gym and Primal Promotions. Primal Radio is available on all good podcast venues. To help us grow, please subscribe, like it, share it, and leave us a great review.